It's Monday, August 15th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, this one weird baking trick could make your cookies healthier and decrease waste in your home. Plus, the not-quite-net-positive potential in Greenland's melting Arctic ice cover. Your chance to officially name an exoplanet and a new law requiring New York museums to disclose if artworks on display were stolen by Nazis. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. If you've ever tried baking gluten-free or dairy-free foods, you've likely learned about all kinds of interesting substitutes for typical baking ingredients like flour, eggs, and butter. There's more basic hacks like using applesauce or particular ratios of baking soda and vinegar, and then there's specialty ingredients, things like xanthan gum, arrowroot, and rice flour. Well, there's also a new trendy substitute emerging that's not only tasty and potentially good for the environment, but a recent study indicates it can even make treats like sugar cookies healthier for you. The substitute? Banana peels. Specifically, banana peels ground into a flour. Plantain flour is already common in some African and Caribbean cuisines, as are creative uses of plantain and banana peels, but using banana peels specifically as flour has started hitting the American food blogger circuit in recent years. An article in Forbes this past spring listed a whole host of different uses for banana peels, including as a meat substitute for pulled pork or bacon, boiling them to make a hot tea, and infusing them in rum. And aside from food, banana peels are apparently also great for shining shoes and adding nutrition to water for houseplants. But the most recent study, published recently in the journal ACS Food Science and Technology, focused on banana peel flour, and specifically in sugar cookies. Previous studies had shown that breads and cakes made with banana peel flour had higher dietary content compared to ones made with wholemeal flour, but this is the first study looking into cookies. And one important thing to know, we're not talking about raw banana peels here. You'll need to do a bit of preparation to create the flour. They'll need to be blanched, dried, and then ground down. You can also buy it pre-made from some specialty stores, but it is a bit pricey. And for this study, the researchers took the DIY route and made five batches of sugar cookies with different amounts of the banana peel flour. Quoting Science Daily, Increasing the amount of the banana peel flour from 0 to 15% in the batches produced browner and harder products, which could be a result of the increased fiber content from the peels. In addition, cookies with banana peel flour were more healthful, having less fat and protein, higher amounts of phenols, and better antioxidant activities from the conventional ones. A trained panel determined that cookies with the smallest substitution of banana peel flour, 7.5%, had the best texture and highest over overall acceptability compared to the other batches. Because cookies can be enriched with some banana peel flour without impacting their consumer acceptance, the researchers say this addition could make these baked goods more nutritious. End quote. And this tracks with other findings about the strong health benefits of the banana peel, being super high in vitamins, iron, potassium, and more. It seems like everything good about bananas is supercharged in the peel. You've just got to find the right way to stomach the incredibly fibrous peel that we're so used to 
discarding. But if they become more common in all of these alternative uses, it would be great for both our health and for our planet. As Forbes points out, quote, bananas are the second most common tropical fruit consumed globally, with approximately 119.83 million tons produced worldwide, comprising 16% of world fruit production. But with a lot of consumption comes a lot of waste. Most of the waste produced from banana consumption comes from the peel, which makes up 30-40% to 40% of the weight, resulting in approximately 3.5 million tons of banana peel waste each year. Banana peel waste contains carbon-rich organic compounds that can take up to two years to decompose and biodegrade, creating odor and producing excessive emissions of greenhouse gases that contribute to climate change. End quote. Composting them or reusing them in other ways is great too, of course, but if you're particularly adventurous in the kitchen, maybe try out one of these banana peel recipes. Like the thawing permafrost revealing fascinating and shockingly well-preserved specimens of ancient creatures, the rapidly melting Arctic ice cover in Greenland is also providing a potential silver lining to an undeniably bad problem. The ice is melting at an unprecedented rate. What used to be year-round ice cover is now seasonal ice cover. But with the thaw brings the potential opportunity to access critical minerals which could power more green energy. A cohort of billionaires craving those minerals have banded together to search for the best location to mine. Jeff Bezos, Michael Bloomberg, Bill Gates, and others are financially backing Cobalt Metals, a California-based startup focused on mineral exploration, which in turn has partnered with Blue Jay Mining to uncover a deposit of nickel and cobalt in Greenland, which Cobalt CEO Kurt House says could be the first or second largest, most significant deposit in the world. Quoting CNN, Crews are taking soil samples, flying drones and helicopters with transmitters to measure the electromagnetic field of the subsurface and map the layers of rock below. They're using artificial intelligence to analyze the data to pinpoint exactly where to drill as early as next summer. Greenland could be a hotspot for coal, copper, gold, rare earth metals, and zinc, according to the Geological Survey of Denmark and Greenland. The government of Greenland, according to the agency, has done several resource assessments throughout the ice-free land, and the government recognizes the country's potential to diversify the national economy through mineral extraction. End quote. The melting ice is pushing sea levels higher and has Arctic scientists deeply concerned. But at the same time, being able to access such minerals, particularly in a relatively humane way with the consent of the government and most local people, as opposed to the human rights concerns with some other mining, would help us power more electric vehicles and store renewable energy. Cobalt said in a statement, quote, Fully electrifying the global economy is our generation's greatest challenge. Partnering with this broad set of world-class investors will accelerate our efforts to find the key materials for the EV revolution. End quote. And you know, though it's not the same, this reminds me of air conditioning. As the climate crisis marches on, more people will require more air conditioning more often. But we are also actively making the climate crisis worse the more we use it. 
Maybe if what CNN is framing as a billionaire's treasure hunt turns out to work and we find one of the largest deposits of nickel and cobalt and other minerals, maybe there will be enough for some of the long-shot AC alternatives to actually get off the ground and scale up. You know, I'm not ready to say that the discovery of such a deposit would make the ice melting and all the ill effects of that worth it, but it would at least perhaps soften the blow. If you've been frustrated by the naming of the James Webb Space Telescope after a NASA administrator rather than an astronomer who, at best, willfully ignored the persecution and firing of hundreds of LGBTQ plus government employees during the Lavender Scare, well, then here's your chance to prove it to the International Space Agencies by naming some of the JWST's discoveries yourself. The International Astronomers Union, or IAU, is responsible for cataloging and establishing naming conventions for celestial objects. They've been taking the lead on that for over a century, and now they want the public's help. They've just announced a global outreach project called Name ExoWorlds. Now in its third iteration, Name ExoWorlds is a chance for professional astronomers and the wider public to come together and name 20 selected exoplanets and their host stars that have been observed by JWST. Quoting the Name ExoWorlds press release, Cultures around the world have long made connections with objects in the natural world by giving them names in their native tongues. Many civilizations have developed their own stories, mythologies, and cultural contexts around specks of light in the heavens above. Through these connections, we eventually found our place among the stars. This is the story of how astronomy came to be among the earliest of the disciplines we now call science, and the beginning of humanity's eternal quest to understand the universe around us. When the IAU was created in 1919, one of the tasks delegated to the professional astronomers was to catalog celestial objects and provide consistent conventions for naming them. Advances in science and technology have recently enabled us to detect a new category of celestial object, called exoplanets, planets orbiting other stars. Mars. The first exoplanets were discovered just three decades ago, and over 5,000 have been identified since. Most of these planets are only referred to by their scientific designations and have no connections to our stories and cultures. End quote. ExoWorld, by the way, is a nickname created by IAU for the purposes of this campaign in order to have a quick way to refer to both the exoplanet, a planet outside of our solar system, and its host star. Our host star is the sun, and each planet outside of our solar system likewise has its own host star. In previous years, name ExoWorld events have brought together over half a million participants from well over a hundred different nations. This is no Bodie McBoatface situation, however. Even though anyone can participate, it will require a decent amount of work. First, you have to join a team. You can't submit a name on your own. Teams are made up of students and teachers, astronomy enthusiasts, amateur astronomers, and professional astronomers. Your team must then conduct an astronomy outreach event related to exoplanets. And after that, you'll choose a system from one of the 20 exoworlds on the list and propose a name for the exoplanet and its host star in your language. You'll also need to give an explanation of your name choice with cultural context and submit your proposal in both written and video format. A selection panel and final selection committee will then choose candidates based on the description and meaning of the proposed names as well as the outreach activities held by the team. 
You can join more than one team, but each team only submits one pair of names, and each team must represent only one country, even if every team member is not from that country. There are also quite a few rules in terms of the names that can be picked. You can't use names already in use for celestial objects, even informally, or names of real people, living or dead. No portmanteaus, trademarks, numbers, pet animals, acronyms, or things known principally for political, military, or religious activities. And they suggest the name of the exoplanet and its star have a unifying theme and have long-standing cultural, historical, or geographical significance to your team's host country. They also encourage names from indigenous languages, but those proposals will only be accepted if the team proposing it is led by a member of that indigenous community. It is a steep barrier of entry, but the chosen names will become the official public names as recognized by the IAU, which is a pretty big deal. Proposals are due in November and will be announced in late March, and you can read more on the IAU's site, link in the show notes. Next time you visit a museum in New York City, there might be some additional information beside the placards on some of the artwork you're perusing. Last week, Governor Kathy Hochul signed into law a new bill that will require museums to disclose if artworks on display had passed through Nazi hands through theft, seizure, confiscation, forced sale, or other involuntary means. State Senator Anna M. Kaplan said in a statement, quote, During the Holocaust, some 600,000 paintings were stolen from Jewish people not only for their value, but to wipe our culture and identity off the face of the earth. Today, artwork previously stolen by the Nazis can be found hanging in museums around New York with no recognition of the dark paths they traveled there. With the history of the Holocaust being so important to pass on to the next generation, it's vital that we be transparent and ensure that anyone viewing artwork stolen by the Nazis understand where it came from and its role in history, end quote. In addition to the new requirement for museums, the legislative package also includes ensuring New York schools continue to properly educate students on the Holocaust, as has been required since 1994, and that financial institutions waive wire fees associated with Holocaust reparations payments. Legislators and organizational leaders present at the signing ceremony cited the rise of both anti-Semitism and an increasing proportion of youth unaware of how many Jewish people were murdered during the Holocaust as significant reasons for this legislative package. Now, as for the museum requirements, I think it makes perfect sense for all artwork to indicate their provenance. You know, they already include donor information and contextual blurbs about artistic intent or the artist's biographical information. Though, as both Artnet News and Gothamist pointed out, it might be nice to require all artworks to indicate if they were stolen, not just from during the Holocaust, but from all periods of time, particularly during the colonial era. Many museums in Europe have recently begun returning looted artifacts to the nations in Africa from which they were stolen generations ago, and creating productive and educational museum relationships in the process. You know, art history, to me personally, has always been one of many lenses through which we can learn about history, society, and culture. So including crucial contextual information, especially when it brings to light the human rights atrocities related to the provenance of the artwork before you, just makes sense.
All right, well, that's going to be it for me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listen up, I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. Instacart for the win. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.